revealed looking back to the future. Dennis Rodman, whom many of you have heard of, a former basketball player and ambassador to North Korea, <laughs> recently said something that I thought was startling and I want to share it with you. And normally I wouldn't begin a message this way, but it relates to our message this morning. And uh, Mr. Rodman said, if there is a supreme being, he, she, or it has bigger things to worry about than my stupid problems. Now, on the one level, that's, that's, that grieves me to hear that statement because the truth of the Old Testament, the truth of the New Testament hasn't been revealed. He hasn't read the love letters, the 66 love letters, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors on three different continents and multiple languages, written to you, written to me, filled with truth, filled with hope. Think about that for one minute. St. Augustine said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. In other words, they're integrated. They work together. And so the goals of our series are really threefold. Uh, we're in week five. Troy has taken us through the first four weeks. We want to cultivate a love for the Old Testament stories. I think that the children on stage and the videos that you saw and the reason they love VBS so much is because, you know, we've got great volunteers and great staff, but they also have the world's best stories to tell in God's word. No, about you, but I've got some favorite stories that give me hope and give me encouragement, and I go back to them over and over and over again. And so, goal number one of the series is to cultivate a love for the stories. Uh, goal number two is, when you look at the Old Testament stories, they really, in many ways, point us to Christ. And we're going to learn and, and listen to one of those stories today. It's the story of Abram, who becomes Abraham in the 17th chapter of Genesis. And then our third goal of the series is really to charge us to take action on the stories. If you look over here at this pile of food around the cross, it's not enough to cultivate a love for the stories. It's not enough just to know that the stories point us to Christ in the Old Testament unless we're willing to take some action. I saw Shelley in the video, she quoted James, she said, faith without action is dead, and it was that verse in this book that got me off the bench and into VBS, and that's the power and truth of God's word. He has a message for each one of us, and I'm excited to share with you this morning an incredible story from the Old Testament that helps us to better understand Christ. If you want to understand Christ, which is our call, as Christians, if you want to comprehend who he is, if you want to know him better so that you can love him more, then you have to spend time in the Old Testament. And I know most Western Bible-believing Christians, if given the option, would probably spend more time in the New Testament than in the Old, and yet the point of the series is you need to understand the Old to appreciate the New and vice versa. So here's the story of Abraham. Have you heard the story before by way of a show of hands? Okay. Many have heard the story, but it begins in a place called Ur, in a land 
of the Chaldeans. And, and Abram is called by God. Okay, he's living amongst a group of people who are pagan idol worshipers. In my study this week, that was one of my first ahas, was that God would call a man out of a pagan idol worshiping culture and tell him that he wants to send him on a journey and that he wants to bless him with children, that he wants to give him land, and that he's going to bless him abundantly. The only problem is, Abram doesn't have any children because his wife is infertile. He doesn't have any land because he's living with his father. He doesn't have any land of his own, and he hasn't experienced the blessing of God. And yet God calls him out of one place toward another place on an 1,100-mile journey that's fraught with peril, fraught with danger. Abram makes mistakes along the way. He ends up in Egypt to escape a famine in Canaan before God intercedes and brings a plague on Pharaoh to force Abram out of the sinful culture of Egypt and back to Canaan. So it's this incredible story that culminates with Abram going to Mount Moriah. I know this is Mount Everest, but for the purpose of my message today, it's going to serve as Mount Moriah. And it's on Mount Moriah, which most biblical scholars think is the site of the temple, so it has historical significance. It's on Mount Moriah that Abram, who now is Abraham, is called to do this incredible act of sacrifice. He's asked to sacrifice his son, which is a foreshadowing of what Christ did for us when God sent him to the cross. So that's, that's the story, the incredible Old Testament story that we'll be looking at today. And we'll be talking specifically about the faith of Abraham. And I'm going to call it a Mount Moriah-like faith. And there's five points that I'll make uh, when, as we look at the, the pattern or the principles or the parallels of faith in the life of Abraham. The first principle is you have to pursue faith. And we, we're going to see that in the narrative that we're going to take from Hebrews 11 in a moment, which means we need to separate from the world. Are you willing to be called out of your seats and enter into the crossroads of culture and really represent Christ in messy relational situations? We see that in Abraham's life. You have to have patience or a willingness to wait for God. We're not very good at that sometimes. Have you ever been impatient in a fast food restaurant? I have. Our faith is tested, and we have to exhibit the discipline of waiting. You have to have the power of faith, which is doing the impossible. And we'll see how God intercedes in a miraculous way to provide Abraham's wife, Sarah, with this child, Isaac. You have to demonstrate a willingness to persevere in the face of difficulty and hold on to the promises of God when the path doesn't seem clear, straight, or easy. And finally, our faith is tested. If your faith hasn't been tested, my friends, your faith is going to be tested. And in those moments of testing, in the crucible of life between Monday and Saturday, when the emotional and the spiritual high of Sunday isn't with us, are we prepared to respond in an obedient, self-sacrificial way when tested? We're going to see that exhibited in the life of Abraham today. So, this is a picture of my wife Melissa on the right, my daughter Abigail on the left, and in the middle uh, is great-grandma Lily. Uh, she was 95. She passed away last Sunday. 
morning. It was about 12.45 in the morning, and uh, Melissa and I uh, were with her at her bedside, and Melissa's parents were there, and Melissa and Abigail had a great relationship with her. Uh, she was a lifelong uh, conservative Lutheran, and over the last couple of years, we had really planted some major faith flags in her life, and she had begun to talk openly about God and having, have dreams about Jesus uh, during the times that we would visit her. Uh, she was a woman of, of sacrifice. She was married 70 years to Hiram, who passed away last year. So she had this incredible life, which was, at the end, it's, it's, all she had was this little room uh, at King in the, in the veteran's home. Uh, she had her family, and she had her faith. That was it. In the closing moments of her life, those were the only things that truly mattered to her. And as she took her last breath and, and headed into eternity, uh, it, if you've ever been in that situation, and I've had, uh, it's a beautiful pain, as I've heard Troy describe in the past, it's, it's one of these crucible moments, it's one of these defining moments, as we heard about in VBS, where you have to really ask yourself some important questions about what you believe. Uh, Del, Del Tackett, in a, a video series called The Truth Project, asked this question. He says, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? In those moments, you ask, do I really believe that what I believe is really real? Do I believe that God has a purpose and a plan for my life? Do I believe that he knows me and loves me unconditionally? Do I believe that it's by faith through grace that I can be saved and that I can spend eternity with, with Christ in heaven? He's preparing a place for me because of what he's done for me and because of this profession of faith that I've made in him. And so we join hands, uh, Melissa and I and her mom and dad, and we prayed over Lily uh, in those closing moments. And it was the truth of God's word tested in the crucible of life that enables us tomorrow to head to La Crosse for the funeral and know that we know that we know that we know that, that God is loving, God is intimate, God cares. When you think about Dennis Rodman, if you were sitting here this morning, what what could I tell him about this God we serve? I'd love to tell him about this God we serve. He's not some blurry power in the sky. He's not an abstraction as the Greeks thought. He's not some sensual superhuman as the Romans thought. He's not some absentee watchmaker as the deists thought. We serve and worship a God who's living, who's active, who knows every hair on your head, who loved you and I so much that he was willing to send his son to die on a cross for us. And so that's where we place our faith. That's where we place our hope, even and maybe especially when life gets hard and life gets tough. And that's what we're going to see this morning in the life of Abraham. Let me set the context for you. I've talked about Mount Moriah, the significance of this site. If Abraham doesn't respond to the challenge that God puts on his life, we're not here this morning. And the reason I say that is because as you study Genesis, Chapters 1 through 11 is primitive history. And what we learn about in Genesis is God's character and God's creation. And we learn about four major events. Some of those events have been covered in the preceding weeks. We, we learn about the creation. We learn about the fall, the flood. And then in Genesis chapter 11, we learn about the dispersion. And what happens in the dispersion is mankind attempts to make a name for himself 
And in the process of building this Tower of Babel, God comes down and disperses the people into different parts of the world with different languages. And so that's a defining moment in biblical history. And then we learn in Genesis 12 through 50, four four great events uh, in Genesis 1 through 11, four great men in Genesis 12 through Genesis 50. The patriarchs, Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob has a son named Joseph. And it's through Abraham he brings us here today because God calls a man who calls a family, who calls a people, who calls a nation, who calls a faith that introduces us to this God who's living and active and points us to redemption and a savior named Jesus Christ. And it begins in chapter 12 with God's call on Abraham. Now Abraham, think about Abraham. I'm not sure what you know about him, but he's mentioned 77 times in the New Testament. He's known as a friend of God. Okay? There aren't many in the Bible that are called a friend of God, even though we're all friends of God through what Jesus has done for us. He's also known as the father of the faithful. And so he's an incredible figure in history, and God uses him in an incredible way. God enters into a covenant with with Abraham. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. And simply put, it means this. God appears to Abraham and tells Abraham that he is going to bless him with offspring. He's going to bless him with land. And he's going to shower him and his family and his descendants with blessings. And so here's your homework assignment. Uh, I thought as superintendent of schools, I could give you a homework assignment and taking the liberty to do that. We've got 3,000 kids in summer school. So Uh, If you'll respond to the challenge, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to read in the next week the following passages, uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where God calls Abraham, Genesis 15, 1 and 5 and 6. Uh, Abraham is faced with this decision when God calls him. Am I going to respond in fear and doubt? Or, like you and I, do we have the opportunity to respond in faith? And you see Uh, Abraham's response and God's interaction with him in chapter 15, verses 1, 5, and 6. God confirms his covenant with Abraham, gentlemen, in chapter 17. He literally cuts a contract with Abraham. It's a covenant of circumcision, and I would encourage you to read that. It's, It's another test of faith for Abraham. And finally, and ultimately, um, Abraham's faith is tested in chapter 22 when God asks him to make this sacrifice of his only son, uh, Isaac, which points us to Christ. So if you're ready, let's get started. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'd love to get you a Bible. We've got helpers that'll provide those. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love you to take this one and keep it. Any hands up? Anyone need a Bible? I do need you to be actively engaged. Okay, I saw that the Press Gazette had out this morning, the all-area track team. Uh, I'm going to take the role this morning of the blind javelin thrower. I may not set any records, but I'm going to definitely try to keep your attention. Some of you will get that on the way home. Here we go. Hebrews 11.8. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, uh, going back to God's word and the power of God's stories. The writer of Hebrews commends those who throughout biblical history have exercised extreme faith. And we need to start with a definition of faith. Okay, I want you to think about this. What does faith mean? And Hebrews 
Chapter 11, verse 1 describes faith as being sure of what we hope for and confident of what we do not see. Think about that for a moment as it relates to your faith. Are you sure of what you hope for? And are you confident of what you don't see? You see, we live in a five senses world. Most people, if they can't see it, feel it, taste it, touch it, or use their senses to experience it, they're unwilling to believe it. And yet as Christians, and we see this in the life of Abraham, he's called to step out in faith, being sure of what he hopes for and confident of what he can't see. Furthermore, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because those who seek him must believe that he exists and that he desires to bless them. So here, by faith, with that definition in mind, Abraham heard God's call. Let's stop there for a moment. Have you heard God's call? Usually it's not going to come in the form of a shout. I think more often than not, it comes in the silence of our experience with God. It comes in moments of prayer. I think it comes more often in the form of a whisper. So if we can just slow down, friends, long enough to enter in to an experience with God... I know we've got soccer games today, I know we've got graduation parties today, I know we've got picnics today, and yet God is calling us to slow down, to hear the call he's placed on our lives because he has a call for each and every one of us. Just like he had a call for Abraham and his family, he's got a call for you and he's got a call for I. And we'll miss it if we're moving too quickly and not stopping and seeking his call in our life. So he calls Abraham to travel to a place that would one day receive, he'd one day receive this place as an inheritance. This is a classic statement, and we need to stop and pause on this. And he obeyed. So those three words. It's one thing to hear God's call. It's one thing to know that God has a call in your life. It's another thing to obey that call when he places it on your life. And, and furthermore, Abraham didn't know where God's call would take him. So often, I'll use the Haiti illustration to make the point, we want to know when are we leaving and where are we going and what are we doing and what's the cost going to be and how are we going to get there and so forth and so on. And there's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with the practice and the discipline of, of wanting to map some of that stuff out. But sometimes God calls you and doesn't provide all the detail so that your faith will be stretched and your faith will grow. Now, if you've been called to another city or another job, or another community. Maybe some of you are here this morning for the first time in this church. Maybe you sense that God was calling you to Green Bay Community Church this morning. You weren't sure why, but you entered, you came in, you, maybe you felt some tension. But now you're here this morning, and I believe that God called you here specifically for a purpose. We don't always have all of the answers. And so there is this pilgrimage or this pursuit of faith that needs to take place. And here you see it in the life of Abram. He leaves Ur, the land of the Chaldeans. He goes about 600 miles and stops in a place called Terah and stays there for five years. His father-in-law dies. There's a famine and they head down the Mediterranean Sea and end up in Egypt. He lies about his wife Sarah, says that she's his half-sister. God brings plagues on the Pharaoh because Pharaoh took Sarah into his harem. Pharaoh figures it out and kicks 
Abraham out of Egypt and he heads back to the land of Canaan. So there's this incredible journey that he's on. He makes some mistakes. The thing that gives me hope and encouragement if you're feeling intimidated about those titles that I gave you concerning Abraham before is that he's no different than you and he's no different than I. He's called out of an idol-worshiping pagan culture, just like you and I before we came to Christ. We're called out of a lifestyle that was in opposition to God. Paul says in Romans 12 too, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And so in the pursuit of faith, my friends, sometimes we need to leave the familiar, sometimes we need to leave the comfortable, and we need to journey out based upon the call of God, not knowing exactly where he might be taking us on this faith journey. Shifting gears, we go to Hebrews 11, verse 9. By faith, you see this pattern here in Abraham's life. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, he journeyed to the land of the promise as a foreigner. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his son and his grandson, his fellow heirs to the promise, because Abraham looked ahead to a city with foundations, a city laid out and built by God. You know, faith requires patience. Mount Moriah-like faith, the faith of Abraham, requires an ability to be patient. So often, I think, you know, we, we pray the prayer, God, give me patience, and please hurry up, right? <laughs> or we have the Burger King faith, I want it my way right away, right? It's really not the way it works, biblically speaking. If you look at the pattern, you look at Hebrews chapter 11, Noah gets commended for a 125-year process of building the ark. Can you imagine? 125 years waiting patiently on God to fulfill his promise. Moses spends almost 50 years in the desert tending his father-in-law's sheep. Jethro was his father-in-law before being called back to Egypt reluctantly. Then he spends 40 years wandering in the desert because of the grumbling and the disobedience of God's people. How are you doing in this area? Has God placed a call on your life? Are you pursuing him on a pilgrimage? And are you willing to wait patiently knowing that God is faithful? The one who made the promise is faithful. If you look at the last three lines here, they looked ahead to a city with foundations, a city laid out and built by God. Okay, Lily's 95 years were just a parenthesis in eternity in the scope of eternity. 95 years is just, it's a blink of an eye. And so, patience is required. Hebrews 11, 11, by faith, again, Abraham's wife Sarah became fertile long after the menopause because she believed God would be faithful to his promise. She was 90 years old. You know, in that picture that I showed you of Melissa and Lily and Abigail, I took that picture of uh, those three somewhere around Easter time. And with modern technology, I can only imagine what a 95-year-old thinks of my ability to take her picture with this device, turn it around, and show it to her. You know what she said to me when I showed her her picture? With a smile on her face, she said, I'm really wrinkly. <laughs> so that's Sarah. She's really wrinkly at this, at this point. She's in her 90s. And so from this man who was almost at death's door, Abraham was almost close to 100. God brought forth descendants as many as the stars in the sky and as impossible to count 
as the sands on the shore. One of the, the, the promises of God's covenant. Isaac is born to these two while they're in their 90s. And so faith requires a capacity on our part to leverage the power of God. We've got the truth of God in his word. We've got the power of God at our disposal through his Holy Spirit. Every year in January, I make it a practice of praying to God that he would reveal to me a verse or a chapter or a passage or a book in the Bible that I need to go through to refine my faith, recognizing that we never totally arrive. And this year, I believe that through prayer and through waiting that God revealed that I needed to make Philippians my study this year. And specifically through this time I've been spending in Philippians, it's become apparent to me that Philippians 3.10 is where I need to spend time reading and praying and meditating and reflecting. And Philippians 3.10 is where Paul says, I want to know Christ. Those five words, I want to know Christ. He goes on to say, and the power of his resurrection. I love those two verses in combination with each other. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Here's where it gets challenging. And the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Hmm. First two parts of that I really liked. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. We're called to give something up. There's something sacrificial that comes with faith. We see it in the life of Abraham. We see it in the life of Christ. And God knows that we're weak, and God knows that we'll waver, and that's why he's given us this helper, his counselor, the Holy Spirit, for moments like this. And that's the power of faith. Hebrews 11:13. all these I have mentioned died in faith without receiving the full promises. Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, all of them died without the promises being fully presented to them during their lifetimes. Although they saw the fulfillment as though from a distance, these people accepted and confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on this earth because people who speak like this make it plain that they are still seeking a homeland. You know, friends, uh, I don't think God's an American. And even though my citizenship is here in the United States of America, and I'm thankful and I'm blessed, and I'm grateful to live in this nation. Uh, I am an ambassador, and you are an ambassador if you're a Christ follower. We're in a foreign land. This land is not our permanent home. And it's so easy for us, and Troy will talk about this at the end of the service, so easy for us to get caught up in the moment. It's not that we don't have a call here and a purpose. And Paul was a Roman citizen, and he used that citizenship during the course of his lifetime. And you're an American citizen, and that comes with, with rights and responsibilities, but this is not your permanent home, and it's important for us, like it was important for them, to keep this in mind. Furthermore, if this was only a bit of nostalgia for a time and a place they left behind, then certainly they might have turned around and returned. You know, when we're called in faith and we step out and we get presented with opposition and the road's not straight or, or wide or easy, it's easy to start backtracking and to say, well, God, I didn't sign up for this, and God, you didn't tell me this, and God, I didn't read the small print in the covenant, and furthermore, I didn't even sign the covenant, and I'm not sure that I want to be part of this. And that's not, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to enter and walk by faith. And he's given us his word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So we can just take one step in front of the other and one step in front of the other in faith and one step in front of the other. And this is the, the, one of the greatest statements in the Bible. 
These looked forward to a place that was better, a heavenly country. So God is not ashamed to be called their God because he has prepared a heavenly city for them. And that's for those who are on their deathbed and struggling for their last breath. There's hope. When there's hope in the future, there's power and there's faith in the present. And I want to hear this. So God is not ashamed to be called uh, the God of Damien LaCroix because he has prepared a heavenly city for him. And so think about that. God is not ashamed to be called your God. Okay. Paul says in, in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So often I think we're either fearful or we're ashamed as Christ followers and God puts us in situations to stretch and test our faith. And are we going to be faithful and move forward with him or are we going to retreat and turn away because it's not culturally acceptable or it's not politically acceptable? It's not politically correct. The perseverance of faith is what I'm talking about. It's holding on to God's faith when the times get tough. And I love this picture, and it's a picture of, of Bayport football players and Pulaski football players. And I was at the game this fall, and the game was over. It was a lopsided victory on the side of Bayport. And I was talking with some parents, and all of a sudden a hush came over the crowd. as one of these Mount Moriah defining moments. And I looked to, my, to, to the north end zone, and there were 125 players on their knees, joined by hands, head, heads bowed in prayer, student-led, student-organized. Two of them came from this church. Two of them are part of this church who organized this event. And they didn't do it for the picture. They did it because earlier that week, first week of school, there was a couple coming from a pre-counseling marriage class, and they hit one of the Pulaski buses. And a woman named Shannon Hall died that night. And volleyball players from Pulaski were injured in the process. And they did it because earlier that week, one of our coaches, Eric Lefebvre, I know Victoria is here this morning, his daughter, found out that his cancer had come, come back. So these guys recognized that by faith, it was bigger. The game was incidental. It was about community. It was about faith. And it was about coming together. In the, in the face of adversity and persevering through prayer and acknowledging God's greatness and his reign and his rule, even though we can't totally understand it or figure it out. And so to me, it's a beautiful thing, and it's consistent with the mission of this church that Troy talks about. We are a transforming community of families that love God and love others. And it gets expressed in ways like this, and it gets expressed in ways like this. And when you leave, you're going to have the opportunity to express it in faith. What is it going to look like for you? And finally, the culminating portion of the story, by faith, Abraham, when he endured God's testing, offered his beloved son Isaac as a sacrifice. The one who had received God's promise was willing to offer his only son. God had told him, it is through Isaac that your descendants will bear your name. And he concluded, that God was capable of raising him from the dead, which figuratively is indeed what happened. Young man, I want you to come down here with that, please. This is my son, Abraham. Can you give him a round of applause for being really brave? You can kneel down. Now, the story gets really interesting. You know, it's one thing to read it and say, oh, that's good job, Abraham. You were, you were faithful. You you obeyed God, you followed his call. and God was asking him to do something that was out of the norm. This was not part of the Jewish tradition. They sacrificed animals 
as a sin offering. Okay? They did not sacrifice children. And yet the faith of Abraham, through the testing that he had experienced, had strengthened and fortified his trust and his belief in God. And the key word here is that, verse 19, and he concluded... Abraham must have had to have really thought about this. Really, God? Are you sure about this? This does not make sense. I don't get this. But through the, through the faith journey he was on, he concluded that God was capable of raising him from the dead, which figuratively is indeed what happened. So even though it didn't make sense, and, and for me to think about what God asked Abraham to do is, is, is strikes home when I think about my own son, and how much I love my own son, and how, how hard it would be to take this test of faith, knowing that I deserve this. I need to be carrying the wood because of my sins to the altar, and I need to lay on the altar, and I deserve God's condemnation and, and judgment. And right when, when Abraham had the knife raised, the angel interceded in Genesis 22 and said, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Because of your faithful obedience, God will provide a sacrifice, a replacement and there was a ram in the thicket. And it was this incredible illustration of God's provision. And it points us to the same provision of Jesus on the cross. And my heart is moved when I think of the love that Abraham had for Isaac. And moreover, when I think of the love that God had for us. And I think of it through the lens of a father who would ask his son to do this. And that's, that's where our faith gets tested, my friends. And it's because, because of Jesus' sacrifice, we don't need to do this. Thank you, my son. Okay, give him a round of applause. And that's where my gratitude, I mean, that's worth celebrating this morning. That that should be me, that should be you, and yet God has provided a sacrifice so that we don't have to go through that. And if you believe in him, if you, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. That's a promise. And so this is the proof of faith. These Mount Moriah moments. If you haven't had them, you will have them throughout your life. And the thing I would think you to ask you to think about as you go to the cross this morning is this quote from Tony Evans. If you want to measure who loves you the most, Ask yourself who sacrifices the most for you. And if you're honest in your assessment, for me, it's, I can't help but to think of this story and the way Abraham's faith foreshadows the faith of Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us. Father God, oh, we just are grateful this morning that you love us so much, Lord, as you tell us in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, Lord. And we know it requires faith on our part, God. And fear is so often knocking, Lord. And yet, uh, if we're willing to, to respond in faith, Lord, and trust you and walk with you, uh, if we're willing to go on this pilgrimage as Abraham did, if we're willing to be patient, Lord, if we're willing to access your power through your word and your spirit, Lord, if we're willing to persevere in the face of trial and confusion and suffering, uh, the proof of our faith we've made sure, Lord, not because of what, who, we, who we are, Lord, but because of who you are and what you're willing to do through us. So as we go to the cross this morning, Lord, and as we go to the table, help us to go with a grateful, reflective heart, thinking about the sacrifice you made on our behalf. We love you. In Jesus' name.